When we first moved here, we had to replace our washer and our dryer. We got front-loading ones that needed pedestals. We'd never had pedestals before, and I thought, why pay extra? And then we found out why you needed the pedestals. But it was extra to have them installed, and I thought, how hard can it be? And because I didn't know people very well, I did it myself. And I remember the moment when I was hoisting the washer into place that I felt something really bad happen in my back. I herniated a disc. And for several months, it was the worst physical suffering I have ever experienced. There's this picture of me in the gateway, and I'm leaning like this. Oh, so painful. And some of you have endured tremendous suffering yourself. Some of you have lost children or a spouse. Some of you have lived with pain or physical degeneration for years. Some of you have experienced discrimination and threats of violence. Some have experienced things I don't have a frame of reference for. I know one woman in our community who came to this country because of human trafficking. I can't even imagine the level of suffering. This past year, some have suffered the symptoms of COVID-19 for months or suffered the loss of loved ones. One friend of mine lost four family members. Some have suffered broken relationships because of the intensity of some people's ideologies. And if we look around the world, we have brothers and sisters who are in prison who've been martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There are also other things that we've experienced that maybe don't rise to the level of suffering, but they cause deep pain and hurt nonetheless. There's some universal things about suffering. One is that everyone knows what it means to suffer. Another is suffering just feels wrong. Some people think that suffering illustrates the meaninglessness of life. They think that our context is arbitrary, suffering is random, and life is ultimately meaningless. But as followers of Jesus, we understand suffering differently. Pain and suffering are not a sign that the world is meaningless and arbitrary, just the opposite. Pain and suffering demonstrate that things are not the way they were originally intended to be. Suffering shows that everything is broken. And we believe that God knows it's broken. This is the beginning of Holy Week. We believe that the events that we'll observe and celebrate during Holy Week, like Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, remind us of the lengths that God will go to to fix the brokenness of the world. So let's take a look at our scripture passage this morning from Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What's a high priest? Well, it's language that people would have understood back then, but it's a little foreign to us. It's not so much that he's the guy in charge, although he is. It's that he has a very specific and unique role that only he can do. Once a year, only one time out of 365 days, the high priest and only the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, and would put blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest bridges the gap between people and God. He brings the people to God and God to the people through the sacrifice of blood. The language comes down to us in one of the titles of the Pope, Pontifex Maximus, the big bridge. Jesus is bridging the, the gap between us and God. He's bringing us to God. What's Jesus up to these days? He's praying for you. What does Jesus fill his days with? 
bridging the gap between you and God so that you can boldly approach God and receive grace and mercy. I think that's pretty stunning news. Jesus cares for you. Jesus prays for you. Jesus is aware of your challenges, all of them. One of the ways I like to characterize it is that nothing is too small for him to care about and nothing is too big for him to handle. In a really unique way, Jesus gets where we are coming from. Why? Because he's been in our shoes. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Physical pain, check. Scourging, carrying the cross, being crucified. Yeah, he knows a thing or two about pain. Feeling lonely, check. Which time? Couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Or all of his friends running away? Or the crowd that one week shouted Hosanna and the next week shouted crucify him? Feeling overwhelmed? Check. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Feeling abandoned by God? Check. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Poverty? Check. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Being misunderstood? being judged, being exhausted, check, check, and check. Tempted to sin, even that. Here's the kicker. He's tempted, but he doesn't do it, which you know what? Tells me it's possible. If I'm angry, I don't have to explode. If I'm hurt, I don't have to lash out. If I've been wronged, I don't have to get revenge. If I'm in pain, I don't have to engage in self-destructive behavior. I don't have to hate. I don't have to judge. The suffering, the pain, the disappointments, the temptations, Jesus knows. Jesus knows from experience. Stephen Colbert did an interview with Anderson Cooper. Uh, Colbert had written Anderson Cooper a letter when Anderson's mom died, and they got together to talk about grief and suffering. And they were talking about how they both lost their dads at an early age and how that affected them. They were talking about what they had suffered. And in the midst of the discussion, Colbert says this, the great gift of the sacrifice of Christ is that God does it too, that you're really not alone. God does it too. That's why the cross is so important and we shouldn't jump over it too quickly to get to the resurrection. Central to the fact of our faith is that God enters into our suffering. We don't escape suffering, but our story is about a God who has suffered, who walks with us through our suffering and brings us grace and strength. And talking about religious symbols, Frederick Buechner writes, a six-pointed star, a crescent moon, a lotus, the symbol of other religions suggests beauty and light. The symbol of Christianity is an instrument of death, which suggests, at the very least, hope. God knows. God knows. But I want to swim in this water a little longer. Tom Wright, another of my favorite authors, says that the revolution begins at the cross. The resurrection is the proof that the revolution has begun. What's he talking about revolution? He's talking about the overthrow of the principalities and powers of darkness and evil, the defeat of sin and pain and separation of death, of making all things new, we're making all things the way that God designed them to be. That's the story we live in. 
and the story that we tell, that God who created all things good is in the process of renewing all creation and calling everyone back to himself. We've been talking about entering into new territory for the last couple of weeks. What do I mean by that? Well, we aren't moving buildings or relocating to Idaho. We don't have a substantially new ministry I'm going to announce. The new territory is the new reality of the post-pandemic, hyper-partisan, decline in church attendance, Christians focus on the wrong thing world that we'll be living in. We're not getting our old lives back. I'm not an alarmist, nor am I a conspiracy theorist. But if we don't believe the world has changed, we're in for a shock. But responding to a changed world is really what we're always called to do. And the world changes substantially at the cross and because of the cross. See, I want us to aim higher than just getting back to our old lives and the way we've always done things. Because the world has changed, the challenges of living out the gospel have changed. We have a unique opportunity for just a short window of time to adjust to living in the new reality. If we don't, we'll be irrelevant within weeks. We'll be a museum of Christianity, preserving a past that no longer exists. And the first challenge we have is to take the cross more seriously than we did pre-pandemic and pre the craziness of this last year. Let's be honest. I wonder for how many people the cross is there for one purpose, to allow us to live our lives the way we want, and then occasionally when we have a moment of reflection, to ask God to forgive us for what we have every intention of doing again later that day. But that's not what the cross is for. And if that's how we approach it, we don't really understand forgiveness. And biblically speaking, we probably haven't ever received forgiveness either. See, the cross establishes a new reality. The reality that the kingdom of God is here and is reclaiming every inch of the universe and every person for God. The cross gives us an identity. You're loved, you're valued, you have purpose, you matter. And we need to reclaim our understanding of who we are in the light of the cross and live in that instead of believing the values of our culture, even our Christian culture, if it diverges from the value of the cross. The cross establishes a community of people that are being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. People who are doing what Jesus was doing. People caring about what Jesus cared about. People working with Jesus to transform people and their lives. The Bible even talks about us sharing in Jesus' suffering and completing Jesus' suffering. It doesn't mean that we add anything to what Jesus did to save us. We're not co-saviors with Jesus. It does mean that we join with Jesus in his sufferings so that people can know that they're loved by God and by us. In fact, suffering seems to be one of the marks of true discipleship. We enter into the suffering of other people and we bring Jesus there. We lock, walk alongside, we care, we make a difference. It's an invitation for us to enter into other people's lives, to incarnate Jesus to them, to represent the presence of Jesus with them, to remind people that they're not alone in their pain. God knows, God knows. Maybe a good way for us to think about this is to apply the golden rule to suffering. The golden rule is do to other people what you want them to do to you. The golden rule as applied to suffering, how would you like to be treated when you're suffering? Some of us in the midst of our suffering were surrounded by people who loved us, who reminded us that God was still present, who lifted us up and had faith when we had no faith. Those people were a lifeline to us. What if instead of gathering around you in your pain and loving you in Jesus' name, 
Your friends just talked about how you probably deserve this and how it wasn't really all that bad and you should count your blessings because it could have been worse. That'd be terrible. Is it possible that we want to be treated one way when we're suffering, but we treat other people differ when they suffer? Jesus isn't like that. And Jesus doesn't want us to be like that when we encounter people who are suffering. I think the church has a PR problem, and that's important to address. I think the sole purpose for the existence of the church is to introduce people to Jesus and make disciples. And I'm really concerned that the larger Christian community has placed a stumbling block in front of people, and that stumbling block is not the cross. I mean, read what people are saying about the church, and don't just dismiss it because of the news source. Agonize with me over the fact that the church is not associated with anything that looks like the gospel. And let's figure out how to be characterized by righteousness and compassion and care. How do you figure that out? We have to look at the actions of Jesus, the love and compassion that drives him all the way to the cross, and then ask ourselves, is that what our understanding of Christianity looks like? Is that what we're living? When Jesus encountered people who were suffering, he responded with compassion and care. When God brings suffering people across our path, how will we respond? Will we respond with ideology or compassion? Will we enter into other people's suffering or will we dismiss it as something they deserve or a choice that they made? Will we be living reminders of God's love and grace that reach beyond politics, race, economic theory, class, and any other thing that divides us to be the presence of Jesus with people? What does the cross compel us to do with the people who are in front of us? I want to talk briefly about two action points. These aren't my questions, these are just two action points. Verse 14 says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Jesus identifies with you in your specific situation. Jesus went to the cross, was raised again by the power of God on the third day, and is now with God praying for you, connecting you with God. There will be times of doubt. There will be times when you're overwhelmed, times when your pain is deep. In those times, picture Jesus praying for you. That's a powerful image, and let that encourage you. But the faith we profess is also good news for everyone. We have to hold firmly to that, to remember that, and actively live into that reality. The second action point is in verse 16. Let us approach God's throne with confidence. There's this great song by Mercy Me that says it really well. Bring your tired and bring your shame, bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right, but that's all right. Because I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough. And greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Bring your doubts and bring your fears. Bring your hurt and bring your tears. There'll be no condemnation here. You are wholly righteous and redeemed. Every time I fall, there will be those who will call me a mistake. Well, that's okay, because I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough. And greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. 
There will be days I lose the battle. Grace says that it doesn't matter because the cross already won the war. Hear that last line and let it just hover over you for a moment. The cross already won the war. That's the reality. How are we going to live in that reality in the context of the way that the world has changed? So now I have three questions for you. Number one, what do you think that Jesus is praying about for you right now? Number two, think of a person who is suffering right now. How can you encourage them? And number three, what do you believe the cross means?